Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thank you guys for tuning in to the podcast. Super stoked to be here today. Recording this while I look out at Whitecaps building offshore. It's going to be an afternoon downwind run. Brian and Dave. Uh, and huge thanks to Dave Kalama for sending me the Barracuda. I am so incredibly stoked and mystified in a way. When you see that board, there's no way to understand how it's going to feel. It feels so much different than it looks when you see it. And the way that it surfs, it feels really small and it doesn't look like it should feel small. Um, all my runs have been a little bit faster lately, feeling like I'm staying up on the pump a lot easier, on the bump a lot easier, just cruisier. So some of that's me getting a little bit better, but a lot of it has to do with that board. So huge thanks, Dave, for sending that over. Today's guest on the show is Jeremy Wilmot. So stoked on, I'm saying stoked a lot. I guess I'm fired up today. You guys got me on a good day. This is going to be a downwind run this afternoon. Um, he's blowing up the uh, Instagrams right now. Uh, his last photo from the Cape is just featured in a surf magazine. What he's doing on foil is absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, it's I can't fathom foiling waves like he's foiling, much less wanting to. Just doesn't seem possible, but he's showing us what's possible right now. We'd been talking about having Jeremy on the show for a while, and I'm super stoked that the timing worked out to coincide with everything that's happening right now for him. And I think you guys are going to love it. This has the feeling of one of those episodes that some folks are going to listen to twice. There's a lot of nuggets in there from the technical understanding of what's going on when you are towing in to waves that are that big. And then a lot of lifestyle, following your own dream, um, greater themes as well. It's a long show. It's about two hours. So I'm going to keep the intro short today. Just give a couple thanks. And then we're going to hop right in. Huge thanks to Unifoil, Cliffy, uh, the project is going insane. I recorded two episodes yesterday. The second one, the other one is with Mike Pedigo. And in that one, I break down everything that's going on with that project. Mike and I go through a whole bunch of different stuff. And so I'll leave that there, but stay tuned for that. It's going incredibly well. I think you're going to see it soon. Uh, Northkite for sending me over tons of wing gear. Uh, we've had a couple days, the, uh, the wings, I'm super froth frothy on like i love having a six it's super fun to be able to go in lighter wind um, and the foils are actually really good some of the best construction i have seen in the business actually the mast however they're getting that stiffness and and quickness out of that mast is unreal you can tell that there's some solid uh, money research design time behind that and the materials are amazing so Kudos, uh, congratulations on, on being able to do that. Uh, big wins, as always, for hooking up stuff for me to test. Makes the show better. Jim Stringfellow, uh, No Limits, uh, just sent a, a mask with the Cabrina adapter. Can't wait to get on that. Just 
just got that a, a day or so ago. So that's going to be amazing to feel. And yeah, exciting news coming from the Pedago episode too. So stay tuned for that. Really excited to finally share what we have been working on. So yeah, let's dive into the show. Jeremy's a legend. I think you guys are going to love this. And thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. All right, Jeremy, thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you? Yeah, good, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. It's a, it's a bit of an honor to be on. Um, I listen to a lot of these podcasts and I love them because they, they they take on so many different personalities, I find. Like you, um, the, Boiling just encompasses so many different types of people. And um, one that really strikes out was the, the last interview you did with Bones. Um, I love that one personally. Yeah, like it, it was, it was sort of a little bit extreme for me in certain ways, but like it just clicked with so many um, other ways. Like it, he's just got this attitude of just get out there and do it. No, no excuses, and age is not a problem. Yeah, bring snacks out in the water so he can surf for six hours straight. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how he does it. I don't either. I, you know, I feel the same way about this show, though, too, because I have been a big fan of of watching what you've been doing in the water. And I'm just in awe. I mean, what you're doing on foil in waves that I wouldn't want to surf uh, kind of blows my mind. And so I don't want to start there, but that's going to have we're going to we're going to spend some time there today. Um, where I want to start, though, is I'd like to get to know you a little bit more. Can you um, give everyone an overview of of who you are? And how you got to this place in your life? Yeah, I mean, like the the, the main uh, fork in my in my life was really um, boiling actually recently, but we'll, we'll get to that later. But um, I was born in uh, Belgium, so that's where my name comes from, and um, followed mum and dad uh, when when I was young. So we went to America, Singapore, Taiwan, and just kind of bounced around a little bit. So I never really went to school in one place. I was even in South Carolina actually but no memories from there. And then uh, moved to Bondi, and that's where I picked up the bodyboard for the first time and um, moved on to the whole surfing thing and then moved to Maroubra shortly after and um, spent probably 20 years of surfing there. Um, oh, more now. I forget that I'm getting older. But, um, yeah, it was just like so many ups and downs and, Surfing's given me so many opportunities. Like it's, I've done so many things through it. Um, but it's also been a, a big frustration in my life as well because it sort of feels like an addiction in in many ways. You you're always trying to chase swells down, or you you're making making sure that you're not missing out. I don't know. I'm sure some a lot of your podcasts go on the uh, about FOMO, the fear of missing out, and. I feel that's that's changed now with foiling. I don't I don't have that anymore. I I can be happy with what I've got. Um, but yeah, with uh, I don't know. We could talk a bit more about the surfing side of things. Surfing was let's let let's start there for for a minute because I think what you just said there was very powerful. I I mean I felt liberated when I found the foil as well. You know I feel like I am an addict and it's a addiction to what I call flow. You know the um, just that getting outside of your own space and it takes something like 
surfing and, and where I got to with surfing was like, if it wasn't, you know, overhead and, and fun, it wasn't getting there. And then I'd move back to Florida and it was impossible. And so I got into doing other things and started doing a lot of, you know, kind of dumber things to, to get those started skating at like 40 years old. I'm like hitting the skate park every day, like <laughs> palm and bowls. Kind of um, and then found foiling and, and foiling was just such an incredible, just, you know, liberation of freedom from all of that. I mean, it was on tap almost every day in all the different disciplines. And it sounds like, and you and I texted a little bit ahead of this conversation, that this is something that you have been chasing and built a life around as well. Maybe we could start with, when did you first know that you were, as my pup, um, when did you first know that you were a flow addict? I didn't recognize it until probably five years ago. Yeah, definitely. And, and the other thing as well, like it's sort of always been um, there in the back of my mind that I enjoy that that flow state, but it, it's also only just become brought to my attention of what it's actually called as well. So um, I guess I've been hunting for it since day dot, but um, I just didn't know that that's what I was after. So, and that's where the whole surfing story comes in where like you start off and you, everything's great. Like it doesn't matter if it's onshore or, or small and like you've got that rush and you're learning new things. And then like, as I got older, it, it just, it required a bigger wave and it required a bigger tube and um, it just needed cleaner conditions. And it got to the stage where unless it was those perfect conditions that you get, you, I just wasn't really enjoying it. And I find throughout life you um, these flow states, they don't have to be with surfing. Like I, I, I love snowboarding and, um, I definitely, when you go back country doing that, you, you just, you're in the moment. That's all you're thinking about. And that's, that's sort of where I was going with surfing. And, and the big wave was always one of those things where, um, you can find it, but potentially it's only because you, there's only big waves, say maybe t 10 times a year, say, so mm -hmm. that flow state, it's another way of thinking about it. I remember clearly going on this trip and I used to love barrels and it was, that's where I found my flow. Um, but on this trip, we got something like 15 days of perfect barrels. And I mean, these are, it's a little island in the South Pacific and it was insane and it was heavy and every session was kind of quite dangerous. And, um, I remember by the end of it, it was, it just didn't have that appeal. I wasn't like throwing everything on and, and just running down the beach. Like I was like, oh, okay, this is just another session, the same thing. Like I think flow state has to do with challenging yourself and going to a new place where you, you're uncertain of the outcome and, and what you're capable of in a way, uh, maybe. But, um, I would but yeah, big waves has been has definitely been my my thing where I've just, I've loved it. And it, it's also a place where um, it's less crowded too. So the place that we surf, there's only maybe, like when I started surfing it, um, it's called Wedding Cake Island. And um, it only breaks when it's above 10 foot and it goes up to like 30. And realistically, like I'd be out there by myself or there would be three or four guys that I'd, constantly go with um times have changed like surfing big wave paddle surfing became cool recently um or not i wouldn't say recently but within the last say 
10 years or I don't know, since since the big wave world tour came on, it's gotten a lot more popular and um, th- there's more guys coming out, but we've still got a really good crew out there and I love being out there, but it was, um, it was a bit of solitude out there, a bit of big waves and um, adventure. And that, that, that was really the, my attraction to big waves and the flow as, as we call it now. I mean, what yeah. do you think? I mean, I, I agree. I don't know if I resonate as much on the big surf. I, I mean, big for me, I would say, but I, I had the same experience where I spent two weeks in Tavarua, I don't know, probably about 10 years ago and it was on, it was, it was the most incredible surf trip. And then this is when I was living in Costa Rica and came back to Costa Rica and then Costa Rica wouldn't do it at that point. Then I started taking a bunch of risks that I probably shouldn't have been taking and got hurt a few times over the next six months, pulling into just stupid closeout barrels all the time and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, your, your point earlier about you can get it in other places, I think is a powerful lesson. And it, it's something that I, I wish that I had understood earlier. I, you know, I, I kind of transition, I go really hard into what I'm into. And if it's not on offer, I'm just kind of depressed, but I've gotten a lot better in the last five years since we had to move back to the States of realizing that there's a lot of different places that I can get those feelings from and actually doing a number of them is, uh, like better overall, I would say, and being flexible and and hitting those and whether it's you know carding or now downwind is my new love or prone foiling yeah. or even surfing at times. Um, well, it's just hard because you you like you you want to get in that state, but you just can't do it all the time, and that that's what led to um, me branching out into so many different divisions. I mean, like a. I was surfing um, and then I went into supping and um, kite surfing and, and each one of those within their own state, you, you can find the, these moments of happiness and, and pure um, pure focus, but right. it, it's all within different variables as well. Um, and, and one of the problems with where I am, um, we don't always, I mean, we do get really good weapons. But it's not um, it's not always perfect. So I mean, you mentioned um, you were pu- you hurt yourself when um, pulling into a lot of closeouts before, and that's sort of what we grew up at. The the little crew that I was hanging out with, um, we'd always just push each other into uh, dumber and dumber situations, and we'd always call it, "Oh, go! It's only just water." And then like you go and you just get obliterated, <laughs> and. Um, it was expensive, mate. Like I was going through so many boards each year. Like I was breaking at least four to ten boards a year because we were just pulling. We we're just being silly, just pulling into closeouts or going bigger waves, and just not even coming close to to making every waves. And that that's something that comes with age because you. I sort of feel like I've been there, done that. Now I've got nothing to prove anymore. I just um, I do it for enjoyment now. So. I'm more selective. Um, but in saying that foiling big waves is we'll, we'll go into that later, but that's, that's a bit of a new, new realm. And it's, um, it's hard to say that you, you've selected because you don't, there's, there's a bit of an unknown factor out there. I, I don't know if I'm going to make this wave or I don't know what's going to happen or the speeds I'm going to reach. And, um, I, I foiled a, a wave, where it was really shallow and sucky and I didn't know if you can make it. So there's a lot of stuff, um, a certain risk with 
with foiling at the moment that haven't been, um, uh, I guess, assessed, put it that way. And it looks as though you're the one trying to assess these risks for all the rest of us. <laughs> how, 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 does, how does your wife feel about that? Oh, she, yeah, she knows. I mean, I always tell her when I come home, she's like, I'm still alive. And she's, yeah, uh, she knows. I mean, she's, we've been together for, uh, I, sh I should know better, but I, I think we're going to be coming close to 20 years. And, um, uh, sorry, no. Well, there you go. I stuffed that one up big time. <laughs> it's 15 years together. So she'll probably murder me for that. But anyway, um, she knows. I've been doing this for a long time. I mean, like, as a surfer, when there was a swell, I, I just blanket everything out for a couple of days and, and I just hunt. And um, But I never went too far either. Like, I, I try and stay local. Um, mm -hmm. Particularly now with kids, I, I find... Um, I, I mean, it's a bit of a different topic, but um, when you've got kids, you, you've got a time limit. So you, you can't just go like all day, every day. So you, you really have a couple of hours here and there and you just got to make the most of it. And that's, um, yeah, that, that sort of changes how, how you approach the waves and what waves you have available for you to go foiling. Like, I, I mean, I could drive two hours and surf perfect mellow waves or, I just go straight out the front and I've got this slabby foil wave and I just make do with it. So that, that's where it's slowly been um, working my way into this this different realm of, of foiling into slabs. Um, I'm not quite going to say yet that it's something that should be taken on because I don't know if it's really um, – it's really a good idea to start off with. And it's also really hard because there's a lot of things going on with when you're on a surfboard, you're going so slow. I not, it, it's hard. if any surfers listen to this, they're going to go, Oh, I'm going so fast. But when you're on a foil, you're going so much proportionally faster in the steep parts of the wave. And what I found the other day, when I was trying to pull in, I had to take off three times or like at least five, six meters deeper than I would when I was surfing because otherwise you just outrun that, that pocket and you're just nowhere near it. Um, but, yeah, I'm sort of getting diverted a lot here, but um, <laughs> where do you want to go with this one, Eric? <laughs> no, I'm loving all of this. Um, on that thread of bigger surf, I'm looking through, I posted on Instagram yesterday asking for questions and we got a lot of questions so i'll interweave these as the themes pop up and josh Koo, who i think is a buddy of yours um he he wants to know if you've ever been scared in the ocean he says he's seen you in some terrible <laughs> situations and you're always laughing yeah well i don't know what do you think is the uh the best way to uh to get over fear is laughing maybe i don't know but <laughs> it's <laughs> He's not far off the mark, and Josh is a legend, and I'm stoked to have him as a, a buddy of mine for um, for all my foiling um, adventures now. Because he's like, I don't know how much you know about him, and he's pretty well known around the world. Like he's he's epic. Like he he knows big wave towing, and he, he's got so much experience on a jet ski. So if there's anyone I want to be behind the rope on, like he he knows what what to put me on, and um, he certainly did that the other day. I. I told him when we were out at this session, I was like, mate, I don't know if I can do this. I want a small one. 
and um i don't want to like just just give me like a little warm-up one and it's this wave called um solander and um sure enough we're waiting and and this set pops up and kirk a big wave guy and um uh his tow partner tried to get ready and they were just too late and then they just said go and i remember ku looking at me and just going <laughs> ready and i was like well yeah because i hadn't even paid attention because I, I was second in line so i wasn't really even looking at the wave and um I kind of said, all right, sweet. I'm let, let's go. Let's go. And I just got to my feet. Cause you know, when you, you take off really late behind a ski, you, you get this like initial pop up anyway, like I made it up and, um, so called this small wave that I wanted into, uh, it was not small. It was, it turns out it was one of the bigger waves that came through for a couple of hours. And, um, I just remember looking down this thing and like, I know the reef from previously surfing it and it, it just, it's a slab. And as I'm looking down, I can see the the ledge at the bottom. So I, I thought, okay, so I've got a 900 mil mast. So I've got a little bit of play. And I've, my theory was let's go down and let's put some nose pressure down and get, get that foil deep in the water because that, obviously I'm going to change angle of – the water angle is going to change. So if I don't change my foil angle to go down, I'm just going to breach straight out going to look like a rocket ship coming out through the wave. But um, anyway, and I, I've tried to do that. And as I've pushed my nose down, the waves ledged up more and more. And it got to the point where I had all my weight forward. And um, I literally, when I've looked back at the video, um, I think I was millimeters from from breaching. And this would have been the worst spot to breach. Like... <laughs> There's a, this is the video that you've got up and like yeah there's backwash at this wave too it, it's a wave that they, it's the wave that they call ours or salander now and it's the the initial bra boy wave that um it, it's where the red bull contest was right i mean tom carroll yeah, actually messaged me about you coming on the podcast saying that you're a legend for what you're doing there <laughs> yeah well High i spent so much time there and like i mean i used to surf there at the start and um but yeah that, that's what i mean like i, I knew the wave and I, I knew what i had to do but even by knowing that it just drew up so much like i literally just made it to the bottom and then when i made the bottom i was like okay all right now i've still got to do a bottom turn before i hit the rock in front because um the wave breaks and maybe like another five ten meters forwards there's a, a rock shelf and then another say 10 15 meters further that there's the cliff so that's dry rocks but like as a foiler you don't want to go into a rock shelf and you certainly don't want to do that as a surfer either so <laughs> i started to do my bottom turn and i've just gone what's gonna happen and that's when the backwash hit me and that's when my, it just threw my balance way off. And I look like a bit of a spaz at the bottom, but hey, like um, you can't do things perfectly on your first go. So um, made that wave. I, um, I still laugh at Koo because, I, I, as I said at the start, I, I told him, mate, get, get me a practice one. I just want an easy one. <laughs> I just <laughs> don't throw me into this one. And, um, and he even goes to me, he goes, as soon as you let go, he knew it was a monster. And I was like, okay, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, 
no harm done. I guess it was a, a successful ride. So, um, but but since then, like I, I've, I've been thinking about it a lot because, I mean, you. So I'm trying to get um, Foiling Magazine. Well, look, Foiling Magazine has shown some interest in running these photos. So um, I, that's why I haven't put them on my Instagram. Um, but there's a, the video from the land shows that I'm, I'm still quite in front of the actual barrel itself. Um, and I've been thinking about how I can get deep and, and what it's going to require. And at the end of the day, so just to give you, this is what I was touching on before to give you an idea. I let go of the rope exactly where I would normally as a surfer. So that's the speed that I generated. So I was probably say five meters ahead of the lip or, or, or whatever people would judge on that. Um, let them make their minds up on that. Um, but for me to be really deep inside that tube, I don't think the issue is going to be being inside it. It's, it's more going to be selecting the right wave that allows me to backdoor into it mm-hmm. and then speed out the front. And, um, like I see the boys do it at Tahiti and I've been watching them for the last year. I mean, what they've done over there has been blowing my minds and I just see it. It's, it's so cool. Um, I, I don't know if I can do it at this way because as I said, like this wave's got a rock shelf, which is pretty much dry about five, 10 meters in front of where the actual curl or the barrel is. So if I start going 10 meters to the further on the inside and say I happen to, um, breach there, that, that's a moment where I'm going to go, Oh, this is not good. Like I should be scared here. This is not good. <laughs> yeah. And I saw that you're wearing a leash too. To me, that yeah. it adds a lot of danger in a wipeout because you're so more, I, more than six feet away from you. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm not, I don't know what to do there. Like it's, it's one of those things. Cause, um, like I'm a team rider for Axis, but like gear's still gear, and um, yeah. like I don't want to be catching one wave in a session, and it just going straight up the rocks. Because like if I fall there, there is no way the fall is not going up on the rocks, and it's a cliff. I mean, I'm sure if you do some research, you'll see plenty of wipeouts there, and there's like the outcome for fiberglass and carbon in there is just not going to be good. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> But then is the outcome of me tumbling in a wave with the leg rope attached to my foot? I don't know. Like that's possibly worse as well. So um, I've been discussing with um, with on what leg ropes to use and, and big wave towing because ultimately when you're towing a wave, which is big, I find you when you fall off, you just want to get rid of that foil. Like you just don't want it near you. Um, but in certain places when you're near the rocks, you, you just, you can't do that. Like you need to, um, you need to have it attached to you. There's no way around it. Maybe your deal with Axis should be that if they're going to get <laughs> pictures and magazines because of what you're doing, they got to supply gear so you don't get hurt if you, uh, <laughs> if you lose it. I think Adrian might sign on to that deal too. I think that this last swell is going to sell them some foils. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, like, Adrian and the guys at Axis have been amazing and like they've really um I've indirectly been with them since the day dot um and, and what they're doing for me and I, I just mate I'm stoked like I get to do what I love on the gear that 
personally I feel suits me best. Like I'm a big guy. And that, that's something actually I should say as well. Like I'm six foot four. So um, something that I've noted over the years is that every time I go in big waves or, or any or any tubes or anything, for me to even have a wave that looks as big as the other guys, I actually need to be on the biggest set because I'm so freaking tall. Whatever <laughs> 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 I do, it always looks small. So, um, yeah, I haven't figured out a way to do that. Maybe I've got to crouch more or do a bottom turn or – or I don't know, maybe get as low as Kui gets on a foil in his style. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> you might laugh at that one. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah, I always, yeah, I, I try to put myself on the set to put it that way. Yeah, well, it looks like you do a good job of that from from what I'm seeing. Um, How did you start foiling? You, you've talked about it being a powerful force for you, but... How did you pick it up? Well, it was really just like a progression. I mean, my, um, as I mentioned to you earlier, like surfing was really good for me, but it was really boring in a lot of times. And I, I really got, um, really got fat and unhappy and, and like depressed with multiple different, um, compounding factors. But I was always venturing into, to side, um, side sports. So I was really dabbling into sarping and, um, also kite surfing. I love kite surfing. Like it was really fun. And I just remember like I spent a lot of time in, um, I used to work at Nomotu and I traveled a lot, but, um, one of the waves that the first video I saw of foiling was Kai Lenny on that yellow board in Nomotu. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just remember, I, I don't know why it was the music. I think he had Moby on that. It just, it just clicked. I was like, yep, I'm doing that. Like that's happening. Like I'm doing it. That's the one um, where I, I think that was the first video of anyone double dipping. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He did it at cloud break. That was a small cloud break. Small cloud break. Yeah. I think that might've been the second video where he did the double dip, but um, put it this way. Like it, it was, it was Kyle Lenny. Nemotu and cloud break and it just like the guy's a legend and i i I feel very fortunate to have met him in Nemotu once and um it certainly brought about a uh it, it was really the first moment where i realized that younger people can blow you out of the water <laughs> because he was like i don't know maybe like five ten years younger than me and we were kite surfing and he's doing all these backflips and stuff and i'm like mate how do you do that like oh it was a it was a frustrating moment he was uh he was schooling me but anyway back to the story um i saw that video it just really resonated with me and it was just it looked like such a fun challenge and then it was not till probably a year later i um I was doing a surf trip with um, a brand that used to sponsor me and they they dabbled a little bit into it, um, into foils, and they sold me one. So I went on that for a while. And as you've probably found out, foiling, it, it's an evolving thing. So you break at the start. A lot of stuff was breaking. Mm-hmm. And, and for me particularly being 95 kilograms, so I don't know, I think that's – is that 220 pounds for you guys? Yeah, that's going to be bigger. I'm I'm like 78 at uh, 
buck eighty five. So okay. yeah. So look, I was heavy and I was just buckling stuff and it was costing a bomb. And then um I went to 210, 210 pounds. 210, yeah. So I um I went to invest. I was like, well, look, I'm really enjoying this. Let's get on some good gear, some strong gear. And I remember I went to the shop at um up on the central coast and they it was between Nash and um Axis. And at the time, Nash was pretty popular, but the the guy, um, Dave, he he just he goes, mate, this is just as good. And I tried them both back to back in the surf. And anyway, long story short, went with Axis, and I've just been progressing and and slowly just learning, learning how to do it. And then I, I got lucky. I met another foil legend, um, Adam Bennett's down the coast. Uh, so I've got a caravan down at Tabari, and he was. Um, this was another moment when a younger guy schooled me because he, um, <laughs> I think I was like a year into foiling and he'd only done like two or three months. He was on MFC at the moment, at the time. And yeah, he was doing laps around me and I was like, what's going on? And I later found out weight, weight's got a big part in, in pumping and foiling. I find, I don't know if you agree, but, um, Oh, like I heavy riders can turn and they can do everything you other like riders can do on a jet ski. But I find pumping around connecting waves to wave is harder. Um, I, I think I agree with that. I, I, I think that you just add drag as you get bigger foils. hundred percent. You need a bigger foil. So we're just carrying more drag. It's, it's more cardio. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and it, it's, it's a fine line. And also it's, the way foils are designed as well, like they're designed for, uh, I think it's 85 kilos is the ideal weight. So once you go on the other sides of them, you're not, you're not at that peak performance for the foil. And, um, you, you think they're designed for 85? I think they're designed for about a buck 50, a buck 60. Uh, there, there is a, a definite number, um, and potentially brands a bit different as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then so I continued foiling, um, and something that I don't know where we're going to go with this, but I guess we kind of wherever you places. Um, one of the things that really struck me as a with foiling is that it's it's so there's so many disciplines to it. So, um, and each one of them requires different skills and also different um, different approaches to it. So, like, p- personally, me, I'm winging, I'm towing, I'm proning, I'm going into the dock starts, um, I'm even dabbling into the sub downwinding, which is incredibly hard, but um, we can venture into that later. But, yeah, it, it's just there seems to be a condition for everything. Um, so it doesn't matter if it's, it doesn't matter what's out there. You, you can always be on the water. And that, that's something that I wasn't getting through surfing because you couldn't be on the water every day. Like, even if it's flat, I can still be on the water because the wind's generally up mm-hmm. and then you can, uh, do little turns on the chops and, and stuff like that. So there's, it's very, very rare for me to not be able to go on the water in the afternoons. Um, or in the mornings or on the weekends or whatever. 
Um, that's definitely one of the greatest um, the greatest things about falling the way I see it. That, yeah, 100, 100% agree with that. My water time in Florida is 10x or 20x what it was as a surfer. Yeah, 100%. And, and I also find a lot of people constantly go on, oh, I don't know. And this is better than that. And well, this is where I sort of disagree. I find each division is so much fun and each division is just as good as the other in the right conditions as well. Mm-hmm. You just have to make sure you go out in the, the on the right tools for the right job as such, if that makes sense. Yep. I think a lot of them are, are more fun when you're better at them. So I find the guys who are good at winging say winging is the most fun. The guys that are good at downwind say downwind is the most fun. And then as I get better at each of them, I'm like, oh yeah, this might be the best one. <laughs> oh mate, I don't know what it is with winging, but like I've been trying to get people into winging and they just, oh, it causes some serious frustration, doesn't it? Well, like, I don't think I've ever hated learning something as much as winging, dude. I see people blowing up and I'm like, mate, all you got to do is just hold the wing and go up wing. It's not that hard. <laughs> but, I, I think you had a massive leg up though, being a kiter. I think it's very different if you weren't a kiter first. It so a hundred percent agree with you there. Um, yeah. I feel the wind. I understand the wind and I understand the, um, what you need to do. Um, it's yeah. Like, I mean, put it this way, wing coming from kite surfing, I would suggest to learn how to foil. Wing surfing is by far the best way to learn by by all means. Um, because this, like I, I was up and running on my first one out. So when I I was using these um these wings, they were called Conrads, and they I literally he's like, Oh, try this. And um on my first tack out, I was up and running, I was on foil. And I didn't come back up wind that times, but by my third um, third walk up the beach or third or second walk up the beach, I was already staying up wind. So that's that sort of gives you a bit of an indication that if you understand the wind and you understand sails, um, it's possible and it's not hard. Like it's it's certainly far easier than it is to go out in the surf and manage and control all the wave energies and the as you 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 taking off and and going down a wave like that's to me prone surfing how to learn is, is a far harder way to do it and that's the way i did it and i took so many stacks and falls and tumbles but um just like you we, we were the early adopters and we certainly um yeah we, we paid the price we, <laughs> we took the tumbles mate <laughs> uh, i <laughs> Yeah, I never went down with a helmet because actually that that's a good point. Uh, I started I wore a helmet I think once or twice. And um I remember this guy paddling up to me and he's going, "Oh, that looks so dangerous. You're even wearing a helmet." And I was like, "Oh, like I don't want I don't want to portray this image to the public that it's a very dangerous sport." So I just I quickly got rid of that. Like it, that's finished, done. Um yeah, my my thoughts on helmet have helmets have changed a bit, and I think that at the early phases, until you learn to fly, I think they're beneficial. And maybe this is controversial, and 
no one take my advice, but but what I have come to believe is that once you're pretty good, like likelihood of hitting your board with your head or your foil with your head is fairly low, but you're going to hit your head on the water all the time. And I feel like having a helmet on when you impact the water makes that worse. Cause I got a bunch of bell ringings from wearing a helmet. Now I've had this conversation with a couple of people and they say, wear the helmets like Tom Carroll wears, which are more soft and they'll penetrate the water and you won't get that whiplash or whatever. But um, yeah, that's my thoughts currently. Yeah. And look, I, I would totally disagree with what I said before, because I would suggest wear a helmet. Um, yeah. Not, not like I haven't, I don't know. It, it's just a low, a low price to pay for a potential um, yep. big, um, big injury. But in saying that, like I didn't, I haven't hit my head and um, the injuries that I've had have been, not to the head, but you just can't eliminate injuries. Like things happen. So um, if people want to wear them, definitely wear them. I I personally didn't because of this particular um, approach from this guy. And it, it, I just didn't want to portray safety as a, um, as a problem for the foils because we've got foil bands here and it's just a like, yeah, I didn't want to emphasize that. So let's talk about the foil bands a little bit. Um, coming from Florida where it's so wide open and there's so much space, it's hard to fathom that you would be restricted from foiling, but I know that's your reality. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been a real pain in the butt, to be honest. Like it's, it's been going on since day dot. Um, it's taken a real toll on, on my relationships, um, in and around the water and, I feel it's just unnecessary. I mean, at the end of the day, we haven't had any injuries caused by foilers at any of the beaches here um, that I know of. And, like, we've got – like, I'm in contact with all the guys here. We've got group chats. We know what's happening. There hasn't been any foil injuries. And um, they're taking it super serious. But we do live in a city. Um So there, there does need to be some sort of – like, I do agree that – you can't just let everything run wild. But at the end of the day, we also live in a world where um, why are we not allowed to enjoy the ocean? Um, like it's it's a free place. Nobody owns the ocean. Like I, I find it crazy that um, bans are in place at the end of the day without any like proper consultation, A, and B, without any proper like background or or merit to it at the end of the day. So. For us, it's been imposed by the lifeguards. Um, they took a preemptive approach to it, and they just outright banned it. What seems incredible to me is that there aren't a lot of people who show up at the beach living inland for their one-week vacation, and they go, I'm going to learn to foil this trip, right? Generally, someone getting into foiling has some experience in water sports already knows the rules of the road. They're confident, competent in the water. Um, whereas it's fine to show up with a 10 foot longboard, nine foot longboard, paddle out to a crowded spot and just create havoc. And to me, that seems just illogical as so many things do in life lately. Yeah. It's just not happening. And, and like all the people that I know that foil, um, 
they all have a background. So whether it's windsurfing or surfing or or anything in the water, they all have some sort of general knowledge of where people are in the lineup. And if they catch a wave in front of someone, they're going to run into them. That That's a clear understanding of the water. And, and boilers don't do that because they understand that. Like, like okay, I'm not going to catch this wave because if I catch it, I'm going to run into you. And that's it's just basic common sense. So, yeah. I mean, that, that theory that we're going to all, the foilers are going to run into swimmers and we're endangering people is just not, a, I don't feel it's right. And we wear leg robes. So our radius that a foil can hit is within, say, 1.5 metres of you. Um, and I'm sorry, That's most people, that it's shorter than a longboard. So, most people, if there is some sort of collision because something's happened or the wave's taken you in a direction where you didn't want to or you're learning or whatever, like you jump off, the moment you jump off, your foil is no longer has any um, weight on it. It's it's all of a sudden it's a four-kilo object. It's got no – yeah, it's no worse than a surfboard or a fin. Yeah. And that, that brings up an interesting point that um, – We've approached council many times and we've asked for their risk assessment because with um, with the city beach, they, they, there's lots of regulations and whatever, and, like, they keep records of all the injuries that happen. And they actually outright said to us, they go, okay, well, look, we won't send you the report on injuries from all surfboards, whatever, on the beach that they collected throughout the years. Because that was one of our points to go, if you if you deem us so dangerous, send us a report of all the incidents that happened at the beach and then we haven't had one in three years. And um, they refused to do it until um, it's a freedom of speech thing, but they said we'll have a meeting and we'll discuss it and then we'll send you that information, which they still haven't done now. So, Well, I mean, here in the States we have the Freedom of Information Act where yeah. you can petition local governments for any of that information. You might have to have a... I mean, there might be a way to do it in where it's legally they're bound to to give you that information within a 30-day time frame. That's what it is here. Yeah, yeah. So that's the avenue we definitely went down. And um, oh, gotcha. Okay. Like we went we went that first meeting and they said, oh, okay, there's there's no need for it. But I I don't know where they're going with it. And it's it's really frustrating because so I can't foil my local beach um because of this, because there's two head lifeguards that um feel it's unsafe. What's the repercussion if you do it? So (laughs) this, uh, another story that happened, um, I'm quite always the guinea pig because I was the first to adopt foiling and and testing all all these boundaries everywhere. And um, I just had enough one day. I was like, look, I'm sick of it. Like there's no legal law for this. It's only the, um, the council lifeguards that are saying, hey, you can't do it. You're endangering swim, endangering swimmers. And it's like, well, I'm not endangering swimmers because I'm not in the flags. But anyway, different topic. They had enough and I went out, I think it was 10 o'clock in the morning and um, they sent the buggy down, whatever. The two lifeguards came out and they're like, you can't do it today. And I was like, well, look, I've had enough. Um, I'm going out and I paddled out. And then um, these guys aren't particularly uh, fans of mine and they were like, oh, this is the day we'll not does it but anyway whatever <laughs> i had a i had a foil went out for an hour just my local like i like doing an hour because um 
it's just the right time. Like the kids are busy for an hour. They do whatever. They'll watch a movie or they'll fall asleep because they're napping, although they're getting older now. Um, came in and the wife met me down at the beach with um, the three kids. It was on a holidays. They weren't at school. And all of a sudden I see the, the beach buggy come down again with the lifeguards and I also see like a police, um, no, there was two, two beach buggies coming down with a policeman in there. I was like, what the <laughs> hell is this? And um, I didn't even have my foil with me. I was already changed. Like I was suing with the kids at this time. So the foil was in the car. Um, and he pulled me aside. And I remember um, the kids were a bit like, what the hell's going on? Why does a policeman want to speak to dad? <laughs> and so I went like 10 meters down the beach and um, he started talking to me. And anyway, like, He's like, mate, you can't do this. I've been called by the lifeguards. Why are you doing this? I was like, look, I was just having fun. Like, I just went out for a foil. Like, I'm literally um, just trying to enjoy the ocean. And it's it was the only time I had available today to go out there. Um, and anyway, l- long story short, I just went backwards and forwards. The lifeguards kept trying to tell them you can't do it. And I was like, well, it doesn't say in the law that I can't do it. It's only what you're saying. And then they, they apparently they've got this clause where whatever they say, um, if they deem somebody to be endangering others on the beach, they have the right to um, evacuate them from the beach. Um, so I think they were running on that one. But it's it's all very, very grey at the moment the way I see it. But anyway, the long story short was I, I ended up telling the cop, I was like, mate, like what? what are you here for? Are you arresting me? Like what, what's happening? And he's like, no, I'm not arresting you. I'm not finding you. And I was like, well, why are you here? Haven't you got better stuff to do? And he kind of just looked at me and he's like, yes, I do. And I don't want to come back here for this again. And uh, yeah, that, that's sort of where we left it at that. And um I went back to to swimming a little bit more on the beach and then went home. It was quite shocked because I used to be a lifeguard at the end of the day. I used to work with these guys. So I I don't know. It was it was just messed up and like the whole thing is just it's just wrong. Like it's it's not right the way I see it. It's hard to find the logic behind it in my mind, but earlier you said that it fractured a lot of relationships that you had. Is that what you meant with the lifeguards? Yeah. So like, I mean, I, I worked with a lot of these guys and a lot of these lifeguards are bra boys as well. And, um, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that I had an amazing relationship with these particular guys on the beaches, but it was certainly quite friendly and, and quite good. And, it just really blows my mind how being pressurized to do your job as in to get these guys out of the water um, would would affect the way that they treat you. And I, I was really like, I didn't like it. Like they, I don't think these guys, these two in particular really want to talk to me. There's, there's others we still talk to, but um, times are changing as well because they're seeing Josh, Josh Koo, which we mentioned before, he's like the, the one of the lords at Maroubra and um, he's got a lot of respect by a lot of these guys and he's sort of making foiling cool and Richie Vass, another legend, he, he he openly said he wanted to foil and these are all lifeguards. So 
So times are changing, but the the head lifeguards are not at the end of the day, and their policies are not, and they're just not adapting with the times because we've proven over the three or four years now that I've been foiling Marubra, and there's there's about ten of us now um, that we can do it in a safe manner. So I will mention the beaches open the the so the lifeguards will open the beach at seven a.m. and close it at five p.m. in winter. So in winter, you can get out from say six o'clock till seven. So we can foil six o'clock till seven because the beach is not deemed as patrolled. Gotcha. So that, so that's where, um, that's where we are allowed to surf. But by no means does that ever suit people's schedule. And to be honest, as a family guy, um, foiling in the afternoon at five o'clock till six is the worst time you could ever think of because that's dinner time, mate. Like you're not screaming kids at home. I've got three little boys. So it just didn't suit. And it, like, it's, it's tough and, and nobody wants to go out on pitch black and have a 45 minute session and have to come in at seven Oh two. They literally, there was times there, which, which it goes through phases if we weren't in by 702, they'd run the beach buggy up and put on the microphone. And okay. go, hey, it's time to come in. And it's like, mate, like, what, are we at school here? Like, this is a joke. But um, it's just it was always funny, funny when, they, when there's a couple of us out there. Um, they'll always call out my name. Hey, Jeremy, it's time to get in. Get the boys in. <laughs> mate, hey, where's my privacy here? <laughs> long is your beach can you just send one for a few miles they could just track you down the beach oh yeah they'll track you down um it's only about like 1.2 kilometers long but we definitely do that so if we get like a nor'easter they'll blow we'll go from one end to the other end of the beach but um it's a long walk back you you would never drive it um, so i have a buddy who has he lives in costa rica and he just got a barracuda from Dave and he is frothing because the beach where he lives, where I used to live, super crowded. And so you cannot foil the lineup at the beach, not because there's any rules against it. It's just too crowded. There's just too many people, just kooks everywhere, Barney's all over the place. And the barracuda for him is letting him enter so far outside that he's now foiling and never playing really in the lineup. He's catching open swell, riding it right where the surfers are about to take off, and and he's off to the next one. Uh, I don't know if that'd be an option for you. I don't know, like what? No, it's not. Like I mean, it's, they, they're really strict. Hey, like Josh Coos sent it once or twice. So there's a there's a headland, and he's tried to learn his sub downwinding, and one day he um he failed, and like as everyone knows, everyone fails at sub downwinding at one stage. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like part of the parcel. Yeah. But anyway, um, I couldn't tell you how many times I failed. But anyway, he, he ended up on the beach and like they ran the buggy up. They're like, hey, you can't foil Marura. And he's like, you know this. And I was kind of like, are you for real? Like you literally, you didn't even catch a wave in. You literally just came in because it's the only way for you to come in. Like you're not going to go up on the rocks where there's four foot waves breaking. Like, you were trying to do a downwind run and you've just come in on a beach. But anyway, like this, 
when this comes out, they'll probably be different. Um, yeah, it, it's just not good. Like it's, I, I wish people would be more understanding in 2022. Like we, we live in a world where we should, we should accept each other for what they want to do. Like no foiler ever went out there to try and run into someone at the end of the day. So foiler only go out there to have fun. Yeah. And let me ask you this. How much of this do you think is something against foiling um, because of a, a safety aspect? And how much of it do you think is surf culture's unwillingness to change and be open-minded? Well, that's a very good question. I There's there's a good crew at Maroubra. So it's – how can I answer this? Foiling is pretty cool to a lot of surfers. Okay. They see it done appropriately. If so, and it also depends to what level as well. So all the good surfers, if they see a good foiler, they're going to go, wow, like I'm surfing this two foot mushy stuff. And mate, you are doing 20 for ones, doing laps, cutbacks, way out when I'm not even catching waves. And they're going to go, mate, I want to do that. And then there's the other flip side of the story where there's the guys that um, have got their spot. And this is where I see outside of Sydney. So it's their local spot. And, mate, they just – they know their thing. They like surfing. And you just – anything that's outside of that box, it's not cool. It's the same as if a longboarder turns up. It's not cool. Don't do it here. And um, there's another aspect to it as well. I don't know if you've – um, noticed it, but, and I, I potentially might be, um, dislike for this, but there's also a factor of, um, mental intellect. So the more, um, how to say it, the, the smarter the person is, the less scared they are of change as such. So, um, the, the, the better educated people will understand that change always happens, right? And it's not something to be feared, but it's actually something to be um, analysed and assessed and see, hey, like change is happening, so let's join it. Let's not – don't fight it. Join it. It could be for the better as such. Yeah, that that's something that I always thought about. I, I did a deep dive into stand-up surfing, and I, I had a little different – I noticed that folks in stand-up tended to be who who were stand stand-up surfing at a fairly decent level, willing to do it at beach breaks with their surfers around, tended to be fairly successful um and you know confident folks to be able to do that in you know to be the person standing alone, uh, literally standing alone. You really stick out like a sore thumb on a stand-up, right? So, um but the commonality between them, they always, you know, seem to have their own business or some career, and um, yeah, the willingness to change. It's it's interesting when we find the commonalities in in these disciplines. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I think people also feel um, more secure when when they understand that the other person's in control as well, maybe. Um, I, I remember when I was in the Maldives doing my surf guiding over there, um, when I was small, I was always subfoiling um, just because it was just mixing it up a little bit. And I never, ever had anyone have any problems with me subfoiling except one guy. And um, 
yeah, he 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 was from Bali, and I, I think it that stemmed from the fact that in Bali it's not very culturally accepted there. But um, yeah, I think there's a place for everything and everyone, and as long as you approach things the right way and you're respectful of others, I I don't see the problem. Yeah, I, I have never had a problem on foil. Um, I never spend any time. Actually, that's not exactly true. One of the spots, there's a jetty here that gets this incredible wedge. You can kind of take off deep, and then it's got these wedges that just run right. Looks similar to some of the setups that Adam surfs, but just not as good. But, I mean, it's good for us here. And that can get crowded. That's the only spot that I ever really surf where there's folks out. But, I mean, everyone out there is just kind of frothing on it, you know, because we're taking waves where they're getting and you know five second ride we're taking them half mile down the beach bouncing off wedges yeah um, and well, we, my, my situation is very different like i've copped so much abuse like i mean yeah I, i've copped a lot like there's a lot of there's a spot down the coast which is um they've also indirectly put a a foil band on it as well um and it's a great way because it's a shame um but that's that heavy localism and they, they've been um, suppers going out there as well. So it's it's a real hardcore crew and it's it's the town wave. But um, more locally here, like I've been told and screamed at and blown up at like all the time. I, I even remember um, somebody, I'm not going to directly uh, name him or, or, or say who they work for, but – I was going down the, I was walking down the rocks about to jump out and um, he kind of snarled a, re- a remark at me. And I was like, yeah, cool, mate. Like, that's all sweet. And I just said, well, you're the only one with the problem with it. And um, he just like, just escalated. He just triggered him, mate. Like, and he went, oh, you can't do this. You're endangering everyone. And, rah, rah, rah. and then like, I was like, man, that's cool. Like, look, as I said, like you're the one who's got the major problem. There's, there's about 30 people in the lineup that are sweet with it, but you're you're the main guy. And um, he like full on shoulder charged me on the rocks, and it, it was pretty lucky because I didn't fall over. Otherwise, I was scratch my foil and and whatever. But um, kind of just de-escalated from there. I just jumped in the water and and did my thing. Um, but yeah, there's been heaps of moments like that, like. Another one, I was literally out the back with a friend and he um, he's like another big wave legend. It's Howie and he's always, um, I've always looked up to him. And we're just having a peaceful surf. Of, um, it was like one to two foot and this guy paddles out and I know who he is and he's just screaming on the top of his lungs like, get out of the water. And I was like, what? Like for real? And like what's going on? And then um, – he ended up paddling close to me and he's just going off his tree. I was like, what are you going on about? Like, what is this? Like, and he's going like, mate, my kid's out here. You're endangering me and my kid. And I was like, oh, just beat it. Because something to touch on maybe later on down the track is I've never been um, the, I've never followed the, the norm. So I've, I've always been on the radar for certain members of, like this person that I'm talking about. And, um, yeah, he went off his tree anyway. Like it didn't escalate into a fight or anything, but, mate, he was 
just screaming match. I was like, what is going on? Like, how can you come to this conclusion when you've literally paddled out and I was already out here and no one else has got a problem but you? <laughs> and what what yeah. do you think gives you the ability to bounce around in sports the way that you have and not feel um, compelled to stay within one discipline of surfing. I mean, surfing is a sticky discipline. I mean, the culture of surfing, I laugh because it's something that started off as a counterculture that is now about as monogamous as any sport there is. And in some ways way worse than, than most. I, I cannot, I despise surf culture. Um, yeah. And like, I, unfortunately it's become that way too. Like, I mean, I, I really don't like surfing anymore. Like there's so much, I have so much, I'm so grateful for what surfing's given me um, over the years and what it's allowed me to do. But right now, what it's become, it's terrible. It's crowded. It's busy. Pe- people are always fighting over waves. They're always um, trying to snake each other. They're dropping in. It's just, it's a very negative and selfish environment the way the lineup is these days, I find. And um, it doesn't matter where you go in the world. Um, it seems to be across everywhere. Like it's, you're chasing something in the ocean, which is just an energy train, which dissipates on the shore. And and then it's gone forever. And I never really quite understood why um, people fight over it. Like at the end of the day, it's like, well, mate, you got that wave and it's finished and there's another one coming behind it too. So um, I think that was one of Tom Carroll's quotes, actually. He, he literally mentioned, he goes, why are people arguing over waves that come in and just vanish when they get to the beach? Yeah. And why do they want a, a possessive attachment to it as such? I think they're fighting for that experience. Yeah. It's, you know, like we were talking about at the beginning that the flow. Yeah. Or whatever you call it. The, the, the limited amount of flow that's available out there. A um, bunch of junkies competing over yeah. rock <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> that's all it is like it's it's definitely that um I, i've been i've been laughing the last few months because i mean first off our beaches are pretty open you probably see some of the the clips that we post from here and you know it's it's not great but you know when it's clean we're doing you know two four five minute runs and surf it's amazing just catching more waves in, in five minutes than you know a surfer catches in you know the whole session two hour three hour session and then the new downwind thing like five six miles of of surfing is a a really easy run here three or four times a week probably and i pass the pier on a lot of my runs and i always look in and you can see the heads bouncing in the water and there's like 50 guys competing for this one little peak that's not that good at all and i've already been on foil for you know 15 minutes at this point (laughs) just Kind yeah, of it's terrible, isn't it? And like the other day, I um I, I reached a personal milestone or a goal that I'd set for a while. Um, I pump foiled for an hour straight, so I was on foil for a whole hour. That's insane. What foil? So that was the ART ten nine nine with the three two five tail. That's um, not even that big of a foil for your size. That that's impressive, man. 
No, but it's fast. So you've got glide. And as long as you keep it at speed, you're okay. What kind of a day was that? Actually, Josh Koo asked that question too, which I, I thought was funny the way that he phrased it. I'll, I'll bring it up now since, since you mentioned it. Where is this? He said uh, he knows for a fact that you do zero training. How did you crack the hour foiling? <laughs> yeah, well, my tr- my only training I do is um is going foiling. Um, like it, that's that's just what I do. I just do leg work and on the foil, <laughs> which is pumping around. Um, have you that day- have you gotten very lopsided too? I used to be twice as big in my upper body and half as you know, like my legs were half as skinny, and now all of a sudden it's the opposite. I haven't changed my weight at all. Well, it's just my- I was a chicken. I was literally a chicken. I had chicken feet, chicken legs. Like (laughs) it was heavy. Like throughout my whole surfing, uh, whatever you want to call it, career, I was always like upper body strong, like from paddling all the time. And now it's the opposite. My legs are turned into, um, well, just normal people. Yeah. Not skinny anymore, put it that way. (laughs) About starting a baggy company for foilers because all of my bigger leg on the back. Yeah, a big, big, bigger legs because they're always <laughs> like stitched up around my quads, like pulling them down when I start a run. Yeah, yeah, yeah funny. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I look a bit awkward, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, the the thing is with that that one hour prone is people got to realize that by no means am I pumping around for an hour. Like I'm catching waves, and um, I was just discussing this with a friend uh, yesterday. He he was asking me some advice about it. Um, I'm utilizing as much wave energy as possible in the ocean, and, and as minimal energy of my own. So, mm-hmm. um, when I'm catching a wave, I'll go like diagonally. Obviously, I won't. If I'm doing one of these big runs, a you're on a big wing, so you're not really turning that much in the first place. But b the second reason I'm not turning is that because I'm. I'm really using the wave time to um, preserve energy and to reoxygenate my body. Um, And then when I'm pumping back out, I'll pump out totally perpendicular to the waves or to the beach so that I'm out the back in the shortest distance possible. And then once you get on the wave, you you do a quick turn and then you ride it diagonally, so wherever that might be. Um, wherever the wave takes you. But yeah, when you're pumping out, you're certainly not pumping out going parallel to the beach because that's that's the least efficient way to get back onto an actual wave train, a wave yep. energy and such. Um, so that that's the main tip that I say to people. And also the good thing about the Axis 1099 is that it's fast. So, and this, we could probably discuss this. The There's a point where... Like I've tested bigger wings, they're slower. Yep. yep. So you're gliding better, and you're pumping probably a little bit less. Excuse <laughs> me. But because it's less fast, you're out the back slower. Yep. So the time that it takes for you to get out there actually ends up being longer, which means you're using more cardio, which means you're actually less efficient with your energy. Um, that's why I think that 1099 was perfect for me. I, I couldn't have done it on the 999, but this was right at the early stages when they just released the, that bigger wing. 
Yep. No, I think that's an important point. I mean, I, closing distance and range, I think is, it, it depends on the day too, right? Like if there's not a lot of sets coming through, sometimes it's bigger to be up on foil longer pumping and I'll opt for a bigger wing. Um, yeah. And then there was a lot of ways and also the distances, you know, if you've got a long pump to get back out, then it it might make sense to, uh, to be a yeah, little bit faster. That's a good point. You probably don't want to try and do it on a point break because you're you want a good um, compromise of time on wave where you're reoxygenating and the time that it takes you to get back out. Because if you're doing it, say, on a really long point break, it's going to take you a minute to pump back out. You're not going yeah. to you're not going to last. Yeah. Like the other thing is as well, I found that an offshore was quite good because you got the wind blowing you mm-hmm. from behind, pushing you out to sea. And um, the other thing with that is definitely peaky waves are, are way better. If you just got like a long range swell that's just got lines, um, you can't bounce from one wave to the other. You're on that wave train. And you can get stuck inside. Yeah. When, when you're on a peaky swell, you can bounce side to side and then you can actually use that energy to push you back out. Yep. So you're actually um, not even really – pumping out for the first like 10 meters because you're still on that wave energy. Yeah, I I um agree with with all of that. It, uh, it's a different like it's a totally different side of prone surfing. Like it's um it's one of the things that when where I live and the issues that I have with people and the foil bands and only being able to go out from say 45 minutes to an hour in the morning has restricted me and and made my boiling become the way it is in that direction. Whereas I want to maximize the amount of time that I'm on, I'm on wave. So if I go on a tiny foil, say the, the ART 799, and I take off on a wave and I do three great turns, right? Hit the hit the white water, whatever. And then I've got to paddle back out. If I've only got an hour, I'm maybe going to catch, say, 15 waves, 20 waves. But if I jump out in that one hour and I've got the 1099, admittedly I can't turn as well, but if I all of a sudden can prone foil on a wave for an hour straight, like the the gratification of that is so much bigger because you're just – like at the end of the day, we're not out there to sit around and wait for a wave. We're out there to be on foil. Like that's that's what we want to do. So – um, and that's what I love doing. So my emphasize, I've always emphasized pumping with, with my riding, if that yep. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where Adrian and I have been working together a lot on this. And I feel we, we hit the number with the 1099. So that's over, over the years, it's kind of been a goal of ours to, to get bigger guys to be able to do it. Cause at the end of the day, a light rider can do it on say a 999 or a smaller wing. But when you go into the bigger wings, you've got flex. You, you just got all these other variables that come into play. And um, like the, the gear's progressing. So um, we, we, we're always pushing the limits as the gear allows us to push it further in many ways as it evolves. I feel like we paid the price a little bit at the beginning learning. Like our learning curve was, was a lot harder, but I also think that it's a beautiful time to have learned because now we're all, 
capable of appreciating what's happening with the new designs. And so we can feel all the little differences where someone getting into the sport now, uh, just ride this. Okay. They don't understand the little nuance that, uh, that, that, you know, we're able to feel right now in that gear just because of when we started. And I also think that I, I was always jealous of the surfers in the sixties and seventies because of the innovation that was happening. Like what's the coolest thing that's happened to a surfboard since I've been surfing? Like, I mean, still three fins. I mean, maybe <laughs> yeah. the lost rocket was really cool. They figured out how to go a little shorter and a little wider and have some flip in the tail, you know, but there hasn't been really any innovation, maybe some in construction, but we're seeing innovation on a you know, quarterly basis right now. Something new is popping up. It's like, oh my God, this is so much better. And I don't know how long we get to appreciate that. I don't know how long it's going to last, but I feel like it's our moment right now. Like, you know, Simon Anderson's thruster and all of that. And like, oh my goodness, there's new lines that are possible right now. Yeah. And, and that's what I love about it too. Like it's, it's, I love being in this discussion and being able to, I'm so fortunate to be able to talk to people in, in the industry and work on this evolving roller coaster. Because the designs, as you said, like every quarter, they are so different. Then, as you mentioned, the first four that I was on, if I connected two waves, I was stoked on that. Mm-hmm. And that was like my dream. And like I saw Kai do it on the video and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm on Kai, like, like Kai is. But by then Kai was already doing 20. And it's like, okay. <laughs> all right, back to the drawing board. But um, yeah, it's unreal. And I, I don't think we're anywhere near um, – a plateau yet like a lot of people say that but mate there is so much more aerodynamics and, and sorry it's more fluid dynamics because it's, it's slightly different um but yeah there, there's just so much more to be done and so much more testing yeah one thing that i fear right now and actually i recorded a podcast with mike pedigo this morning he came up and, and we hung out and we had been talking about this a little bit is that we are foils have become very small guys are chasing really small foils in in the surf right now and they pump okay and i think people are optimizing in some regards for the instagram clip and the experience you know you riding a, a 1099 on on some of your normal days or i ride a 170 all the time i feel like it's a better foil experience, yet you're not going to have the most radical turn that you could do if you were on a 150, 130, 120. But I get out of the water happier. And I fear that because what's becoming popular right now is a lot of 90s and 120s and 795s and 130s that folks who are getting into the sport now might be they might be are being led down a path that will not be as fun for them um as maybe embracing and, and taking a little bit off the turns uh to have that you know super well, there's a compromise for everything isn't yeah. it like you have to you have to find out what what you enjoy and where you want to go and like i mean some people they just want to get three turns in and and that's their session. And, and that's sort of, to me, relates a little bit to a surfing. That's, that's almost like surfing. But, I mean, that that might be what they do. I do that when I go towing. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I will ride the smallest ball I can I can get. Um, but when it comes to prone, I tend to upsize a little bit. I mean, as a minimum, I want to be able to link one to four waves when I'm prone. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you're just sitting out there waiting too long and it, it just gets too hard. Yeah, I, I want to be able to go three to 10 here because our surf isn't the surf that you have. You know? Yeah, very I, different. Yeah. I like to be on foil a little bit longer, mm. which has but, been fun, like doing this project with Cliffy right now, like trying to optimize a foil for our conditions to get that, but then not suffer in the surf. And it, it's been so, so cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And those are like, I mean, what you're, what I've been listening to, what you've been doing, that they're the best things because you, like, we're very fortunate to be able to, see what's going on behind the scenes and, and see mm-hmm. the change. Like it doesn't, it's a couple of millimeters and it changes everything. Yep. Literally. Yeah. And, um, and the other side of the, the flip side of the story is you also can't design something which is totally for yourself because you actually have to think about what the average rider is as well. <laughs> yep. Yep. That, that was you can have the most advanced performing foil. And if people can't ride it, mate, what are they going to do with it? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, we've got a lot of questions. We've, we're about an hour and a half in right now. Let me start hitting. I haven't even like touched on heaps of the points I wanted to touch on. It's to <laughs> <laughs> a good one, man. Let me start going. What, what, what do you want to touch on? What have we not talked about yet that, that you want to share? Um, let's, I'm just reading through some of the notes. Let's go through a couple of questions and then I'll, um, I'll see if there's anything that I want to bring up because some of the questions might um, bring up most of these things. Um, so Sunny Coast Foiler is asking, other than front wing, what changes are you making to your setup going between big and small waves? Tuning. Okay, so I don't know. Like I, I see certain brands and um, I see them tinkering a lot with them. Um, Personally, with Axis, I don't tinker too much. Um, they kind of just make a product and then I don't work around too much with shims. Now, I definitely move the mast backwards and forwards. Okay. Um, so th- there's definitely – so if I'm going prone and I want to pump around, I'm, I'm really jamming my mast forwards, um, mm. maximum lift and, and reduction in carvability. Um if it ever gets big, I pretty much just the mass as far back as possible and as little lift as possible because at the moment I'm really just getting lifted. Like I'm I'm struggling to keep the foil down. So I've been riding the uh, – it depends what size, um, but it's the 8 – so I'm riding the 820 masts in prone, so waves 2 to 3 foot, maybe 4 foot. And then when I'm towing, I jump up to the 900 mast, 900 mils. And that's the same with winging. I'm always on that. And then we've had a couple of really big swells. Um, I kind of mentioned one of them was at the that wave called ours. And then there was another one, which I haven't um, displayed any photos of it yet because I'm trying to get, um, once again, Foley Magazine to run it. But that one I, I could have done with the 10, 20 mast, so even longer. Wow. And I, 
Yeah, I don't play around with shims too much. It's a 799 ART front wing. I don't know if you guys know much, mm-hmm. too much about the Nexus range. And then the new 300 tail. And so, you ride that tail in almost everything? Well, that's that's an interesting copy, and I almost brought it up earlier. With the progression of foils, I started off on a 460 um, tail, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's perfect for my weight. And then I went down to 350. And I was like, oh, this is just right. And then now I'm on a 300, and I just don't take it off. Whether It doesn't matter what discipline I'm riding it. So um, surely there's got to be a point where my tailwind gets too small for my weight. But presently, um, the, the 300 is what I'm using at the moment, towing, proning, everything. Because the, the added speed you get with it helps you with the lift of the front wing. So it sort of counteracts itself with the, the reduction in, in lift that it generates because it's generating more speed with less resistance. Yeah, I've gone too small on tails, and it's not about pumping. It's just about getting squirrely, just c- kind of having less control over over turning. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've I've landed on. I I don't know what they are in square centimeters, but um, I like tails in the twelve and a half, twelve to thirteen range inches wide uh, span. You mentioned there though at the beginning that when you move your foil up in the box, you feel like it's worse for carving. I I feel the opposite. I feel like the farther I go up, I want to foil as far forward as possible and very neutral. And I feel like it gives me so much control over being able to whip into turns quickly. Is that the opposite for you on the axis? Uh, No. And I can't say I've got an exact answer for you either, because the further forward you go, I find you kind of ride a little bit, further forward on your board. So you've got this like um, side-to-side rotation thing happening a little bit, and right. that in a way helps you turn. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm finding when I'm towing big waves is I'm going backwards because it just creates less lift. It's not... Right, okay. I thought you said I'm something not... about turning and moving the foil forward. I just wondered if we were feeling something different there. No, no, no. And okay. to be honest, I, I'm playing around a little bit, but I'm not – some people will tell you, hey, definitely got to do this. I I feel you've got to test it yourself. Yep. And it's not concrete yet in my mind. Like I, I don't know exactly what the, the answer is with that. But that that's just – as a general rule of thumb, I'm going way, way forward if I, I want to pump heaps or like – moderately forward if I want to do turns and proning and then right back if it's really big waves. Um, right on. Let's move on to Scott J. Cooper who asked, are there some downwinders that you have yet to do that you'd like to try around Sydney? Uh, there's heaps of downwinders. I mean, like the problem is with me is I haven't been able to get a board. Um, we ordered a, a board in February and we haven't even received that yet. So. Um, but I'm working on a couple of different options at the moment. There's plenty of options. Um, another guy that you guys know about is Oscar. He's um, he's killing it on the downwind foils. He's a good friend. I always go down with him down the coast. And <laughs> I, I really want to join him, but I just haven't. The times that I've been out with him has been on a 100-litre board, and I sink on it. So hmm. unless it's nuking, I just can't get going. So I, I've done it a few times 
in 30, I think, say 30 knots and above. And then, I mean, you could get up on a bodyboard probably in those conditions. But um, yeah, so I've been successful there, but the, the number of failed attempts is through the roof. And I'll tell you what, like, I've paddled kilometers, like, and just, yeah, just knowing there's a shitload of sharks out there too. <laughs> Man, we've had a bunch here right now. I mean, there's always a lot of sharks here, but we had an attack. Um, someone almost lost their foot uh, about three blocks from from my house here. Kind of sketchy, and they've been right up on the coast for the last three or four days. A little bit weird. Everyone's on yeah. edge a little bit. Well, that that brings up another whole story. And um, recently, so like with my work, I actually I won't even go down on that. We haven't got time, but. Um, Sydney's experienced pretty much this worst rain event in a long time. And the water's been particularly warm. And we had really dirty waters from all the rivers. Anyway, it was flooding. It was a disaster. Like it, it cost it cost Australia a lot of money. Anyway, um, that means there was a lot of sharks. And I mean a ridiculous amount of sharks. And I one day I went winging. And because I can't launch from the beach because it's banned anyway, whatever, I go from this other little beach and it's kind of a little bay and it just opens up straight into the open water. And I've gone out to sea probably two, three Ks, come back in, done a few tacks. And I remember being out there and I've checked my time. I've gone, oh, man, I've really got to get back because the wife's going to kill me because I've got to go to um, swimming training for the kids. So I've shot back. And on the way back, I've just made this mental note to myself. I was like, Man, I haven't seen any sharks today. So normally on a normal run, I'll see, say, five little hammerheads or a couple of bronze whalers or something. Just, look, I'm not going to say they're friendly, but they're not bothering me. They might ever occasionally get curious and, and follow me, but they're small. They say 1.5 metres, maximum mm-hmm. 2 metres. Um, anyway, coming in, I get back to the beach and pack up my stuff, run up the stairs. Anyway, like I'm in the car within five, 10 minutes. 20 minutes later or half an hour later, um, I get this message on the group chat and it is disgusting and it's so sad. Like this guy was literally gets eaten alive on this video and then um, it comes out like the next information is where it happened and it's Little Bay and I'm like, Oh my god! I was just there. Like, what? What happened? And then I looked at the time of the um, the actual um, the video was taken, and it was literally eight minutes before I went through that exact location. So, oh God, I actually remember um, coming in and noticing that there was this particular swimmer who was way out to sea, and I was like, "What are you doing out here? Like, you oh. the beach goers are way inside." And um, yeah, I just I just remember seeing the guy, and um, mate, my GPS track shows the time where I was exactly where the shark, because you can see where um, where the rocks are and position in the video of where it actually happened. And I can't tell you, I was literally within five meters of that. Like it was. Oh my god! It was a close call, and then for the next couple of months, the amount of sharks that I was seeing was just silly. It, it was. It was getting hairy. I, 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 I mean, I, I don't live in denial that there's sharks every day out there, but this was not enjoyable because it was just it hit so close to home. And um, I mean, this put it this way: this guy died, and they closed the beaches for 
for two days and um, it, it's terribly sad like it's, it's a very sad story was that the video that was taken by the fishermen on the beach or on the rock there yeah that's one yeah so wow yeah i i i saw those it was vicious like, and 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 then you start thinking you're like okay like maybe it would have been a better thing if i was there i could have helped them but then you're like no nah, mate that nothing can be done in those situations like you see the size of that shark you're like no nah, like this and if he went my foil he would have just broken my foil in two pieces like the way it hit you know this this was a not just a taste this was an attack so yeah. oh, there's, there's just nothing yeah but um so i guess i my wife was very happy and um as she says she she goes, sometimes it's good that i nag you <laughs> Speaking of, someone named Sarah asked, does he love his foil more than his wife asking for a friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, she might be a bit closer than uh, that friend. But anyway, she, um, <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, have you ever heard a wife say that? Oh, I'm so happy you found surfing and you're loving foiling. And it's, yeah, no. It's always uh, there's always uh, it's a bit of jealousy there. Put it that way. And I, um, so I'm super fortunate the amount of time I spend in the water. My wife is also named Sarah, and I actually think she likes that I have an outlet, just because I'm a happier person, probably a better dad if I foil every day. Yeah, aggro. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like with foiling, it's something that that's really good because you can go out there for an hour and mate, you're stoked. Like I'm cooked in an hour. My legs yeah. are gone. So, I mean, one hour in, in a day is not that long. So it, it's not really, um, I mean, that, as a lot of people say, I could be at the pub drinking, drinking piss and wasting money on the pokies <laughs> and talking rubbish stories. So one hour is not so bad, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I'm fitter and I'm healthier than I've ever been in my life. Like I'm happier. Like it's had a huge mental like benefit to my mental game. Like it's just it's really good. Zane Westwood asks to if you could tell the story about your first downward run with Oscar and him. Oh yeah, that that was a bit of a classic. That one. So Zane, I don't know how much you guys know. I know he's been on the podcast a few times. He's yeah. um. Man, he's wild. He's a freak on a foil. He's he he's got legs that are like uh, racing horses. Um, and he does what what I do on a big foil. What he, he does that on a on a lift ninety. But anyway, uh, the first downwind run um, we did, we were in Aladala, so with um, Oscar, and um, they were going to do a, a sub downwind. I was like, yeah, sweet. I'll join you with the the wing. And went up there. The wife dropped us off, which was really nice of her to do that. And um, there was a storm coming through, and I was like, oh, that doesn't look good. So I was like, stuff it. I'll just send it prone. And um, worst case scenario, I paddle into the beach, and I'll just keep proning down until I get home. It's about, um, what was it? I think it was 16 Ks. Yeah, this was going back a while, actually. I think it's about 16 Ks. And um, where you take off, the the wave runners, they kind of run – way off the coast there's a little bay so to get to where the caravan is 16 k's down you gotta you're probably two three k's out the sea and um i remember 
going to Zane as we're paddling off to the for me to take off on the on the prone spot. Going, let's not try and go too far out to sea. Um, let's just play it safe. And mate, the first thing he does as soon as I get up and going, I was I did this on the AIT ten nine nine as well because I can really pump that one well. Is you just go follow me and guess what direction that was in? Straight out to sea. <laughs> <laughs> And we're just going further and further. I'm just going, oh, mate. Like, and I remember that whole run was just such a, like, it, it, bring it back to that that analogy of the flow state. I remember I was just focusing so much on not falling off and just making it to the end and not hitting seaweed or or anything. And he's like, oh, I saw another shark. And I, I, I mean, you can listen to people when you're in this flow state, but you're not really focusing and visually looking at what they're doing. And, um, yeah, I remember him saying like five times, oh, I saw a shark and I'm just like, mate, I didn't see nothing. I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking straight ahead and I'm not falling off, mate. Like, that's it. <laughs> and um, I think it was actually getting to the end. Um, we reached this other point and he's, because I'm such a big guy, um, the disturbance I caused with my foil are quite large. He's cut behind me and it's just buckled him <laughs> he's fallen off and i was just going oh shit and i just kind of said sorry mate but i'm not stopping and um i just kept going and eventually i made it but um it was unreal it was really cool um he got up again because he was on the sub downwind with the paddle but and he's like he's a freak on that I, when i get my board i'm going to learn off him and um oscar and, and like james casey's already always amazing at it too um, but one thing I did notice as well was when I came in from, I think it was a, a 40 minute run. I, my legs were not gone. My legs were not cooked because when you're downwinding, it's not such, it's not as high intensity as it is say proning on a beach. You're not pumping mm-hmm. as hard. Um, so I did like a little, uh, I don't know, maybe you want to call it a victory lap. I did it. I pumped around for a couple of ways. Once I got to the beach, the closeout at the end of where we finished. That's epic. Yeah, when you're on when you're on good bumps, if you've got good wind, it's really just a mental game. Not just a mental game, but it's a mental game more than it is a physical game, is what I have found. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and like my my opinion of sub downwinding is the downwinding part's not the hard part. The hard part's getting up. So the few times that I have done it in like ideal conditions, you know, thirty plus knots with good bay bombs or ocean bombs, you, as soon as I'd get up, I'd pretty much put myself back down like 20 seconds later because mm-hmm. there's no point in me practicing just staying on a wave. Like I've done that. I know how to do that. It's right. getting up. Yeah. And on a small board, it's like I'm almost sinking on this board and it's it's impossible. It's actually um, a borrowing Josh Koo's board. Um, but, yeah, so – for any of you guys that are trying to get into sub downwinding, it's really um, the getting up is going to be your biggest frustration. So, technology, once again, we're going back to that discussion. It's improving heaps. What the new um, Kalama boards are bringing out, and there's a couple of new um, models, the one boards, they're just really skinny, narrow, and they just let you get onto waves. That's you, you need your speed to get going. Once you're going, mate, it's sweet. Life's good. It's interesting. 
Uh, sorry to cut you off there. It's interesting hearing you talk about downwinding sub versus winging, because for me, the process was exactly the opposite. I felt like winging was <laughs> so hard to learn and downwinding. I was able to chip on, you know, 15 mile an hour winds within a couple days of doing it. Um, and, but you did a lot of sup as well. Maybe it's board size. I mean, it might just be that you've been riding boards that are so small that the process is a lot harder for you, but I feel like well, if you're all the guys, board, yeah, all the guys that are my weight are on 130 liters or 120 liters. Mm-hmm. So that like people have said, Oh no, you just got to deal with it. Well, yeah, I've been trying to deal with it, but I've done a lot of paddling too. <laughs> <laughs> Like uh-huh. a lot of paddling. <laughs> I guess I am on about a hundred liters right now. Yeah. Um at eighty five kilos. So I've got about a thirty pound difference, fifteen kilogram float on that. Well look when I when I when I get this new board, um I'm getting a new Sonova, um I'll we'll give it a shot and maybe it's going to be easy for me. I just, I really want to join these, um, these freaks. I want to join Oscar and and Zane down the coast and cause it, it's just prime location. There's one of the things with sub downwinding as well. People got to realize is that the reason I wing so much is because you start and you finish at the same spot mm-hmm. and you're close for me to go from home. So I can be in and out of a session in an hour, an hour foiling, and um, I don't need anyone to pick me up. When you're doing sub downwinders, you always need somebody to pick you up, or you got to drop a car down there, or you got to mm-hmm. do this. And like, you might be on a foil for forty minutes, but you're going to drive for forty minutes as well because you're going to be stuck in traffic. And that's where I really want to do it down the coast because if you drive for twenty minutes down there, you're doing one hundred and ten k's an hour. You're covering. You're on four for 40 minutes and you're driving for 20 minutes. And that's, mm-hmm. yeah, you want to be close to a highway or you just don't want to be close to traffic, put it that way, the way I see it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So, Maxime B, I don't know who that is, but asks, I don't know how this one's going to go. Uh, ask him what his wife does when he misses kids' pickup because Voodoo's is firing. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, let's not get confused. I've been pretty good. Um, I uh, I pick my battles, um, and generally, maybe it's just me um, justifying it. But sometimes I'll go, "Oh, you, you'll be okay with three. But it's uh, no. If I if I've definitely got to be there, I, I think um, I think over the years I, I've definitely set my priority for the kids. Um, prior to foiling and, and, and that like how old are your boys so i've got a, a seven a five and a three are they in the water oh they love it like yeah pushing them into anything um i just want them in the water and they love swimming and sometimes i'll say hey dad let's go surfing or like i've even gone on a start and had all three on me so i've got like zach on my back Oh, sorry, Tom on my back, so he's a three-year-old. I've got Zach on the front, he's the five-year-old, and Ben's on the back just hanging on as they, um, a seven. And we, we're all in the same wave together riding it. Um, I haven't been able to stand up all four together, but I've stood up three together easy. So me with Tom on the back and Zach will stand up at the front of the sub as well and we'll ride a wave like 50 metres. It's been unreal. Like It's been, um, been really fun. 
That's epic. We have a Christmas card where we did that. Our whole family caught a wave. And uh, from on the same board, same board. Yeah, it was like an 11 foot starboard big whopper or something like that. I mean, it was a massive, it was more like a boat than a a surfboard, but we all caught it and everyone popped up and um, it's classic. How good is that? Yeah, it was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. There'll be a moment where, you know, it goes from you not having this, you know, like just pushing your kids into waves and all that to like where they're just frothing. Like my son loves to surf now. He's 13 foil. And now we just, we're like buddies just hanging out. It's kind of the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. And there's like a bit of an, like as much as we um we hunt these, um well, I hunt these bigger waves and these moments in foiling, like sometimes it's the small moments like that when you're on a board with your kids that far outweigh everything else as well um, and, and bring so much more joy at the end of the day as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's wrap up here in a, in a few questions. Um, safety equipment. Uh, Charlie's asking, you guys are sending it so hard. What are you doing for safety equipment on the ski? What are you doing for... I mean, maybe you could expand that just to safety in general. Um, I kind of just go for it. I mean, but in saying that, I'm very calculated. So I... I rely heavily on my um, ocean knowledge and wave positioning and what happens out there and, and, and the positions that I put myself in. Um, but we, we've just got the standard stuff on the ski. We've got the sled so we can pick somebody up. But, um, yeah, <sighs> when things go wrong, things go really wrong. Um, we've been very lucky that, that hasn't occurred here. A um, couple of good stories when um, in the bigger waves, but yeah, like Josh has got some tourniquets and stuff like that. But the way I see it, when you're in the ocean, unless you've got a jet ski, you've got no idea what's happening out there. Um, the number of sessions I've been out in big waves and uh, at this particular bommy, and somebody will catch a wave and you won't see him for 20, 30 minutes. And you think he's just like snapped a leg rope or something. But if he, actually knocked his head and he was unconscious, you wouldn't actually know that because you hadn't seen him for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So you don't know where he is. You don't know what's happening. So it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I think um, that side of things I've got a lot to learn and um, I, I'm open for, for suggestions or, or training as such in, in that way. And then last question from uh, from IG. Matt Coast, and I like this question. It's why I saved it. How do you turbulence lift currents in larger waves? So the feels on the foil, how do they compare to normal sized waves? Um, they, sorry, a bit of a, a pause there. Turbulence is no good. They, they don't seem to get much bigger. Um, as the waves get bigger um, as such. Obviously, if I did catch a wave recently in that that big swell, I think it was probably like 15 foot, and um, I did run into whitewater on one of them, um, and it's game over. Like, you, there's just no way you can deal with it. But as a whole, like, if you're on that clean, open face, it's um, it's okay. It's, it's, 
yeah, it, it's it's totally location dependent. Are you more selective then in what ways you're taking based on turbulence, whitewater, all of that? you less apt to take a wave at the end of a set? So one thing I noticed when I was surfing big waves was that um, it was definitely you could you could handle the waves a lot better. Um, you didn't have to go the first wave of the set to do it. So, sorry, when you're toe surfing, you've got to go the first, the second wave of the set. But when you go on the first set on the foil, you don't feel all the, the chop and the bumps from the, the wind. So it's a lot more manageable as such. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I... Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think I answered that one very well, but <laughs> does it feel yeah, noticeably different? Is there is there a speed at which a foil feels much different? I'm fast. I've probably gone is probably I don't know thirty maybe on a wing or on a on a big wave. Like you're probably going much faster than that. Um, yeah. So I I was hitting speeds of fifty k's an hour on that big swell. That I haven't posted the photos yet of that. Um, and that's GPS speed. So the speed when you're going down the wave is not recording and also the actual water of the wave going up the face is not recorded as well. So right. the speed that your foil is traveling through the water, God knows how fast that was. But pretty much I I struggled keeping it down. Um, I, I think every foil definitely has a top speed. I think... Yeah, I, I think like at the moment with Adrian, I'm just working on something to try and go faster and to try and be able to do these um, these bigger waves because ultimately I'd like to push that 20 to 30-foot mark. Um, up till now, we've only been, say, 15, 15 plus. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it, it's definitely the, the size of the foil that's restricting us at the moment um, from, from going – as big as we want. But I do see that I'll be able to, in the future, push bigger waves um, in foiling than I, I ever did surfing. Wow. 100%. Because you, you can you can deal with that chop because um, you, you're cutting through with your mast and your foil is only underneath the water. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about the barrel here. I'm literally just talking about the size, like the – the big waves. Um, a barrel's kind of that's that's a newly ventured uh, avenue that I did the other day, um, but I don't know if that one's going to really take off or, or where to go with it. But yeah, when it comes to wave size, I think you can foil bigger than you can surf. Put it that way. Right. Actually, one more, one more quick one. Uh, head dip or, or head IP. He, he's on the Progression Project forum all the time too, which is awesome. He wants to know if you'd be anything without Josh Koo. That's a good one to end on. <laughs> Names come up so much. Oh, uh, what would I do? I wouldn't uh, wouldn't have anyone to talk to. No one around here would be making it look cool. Um, <laughs> nah, he, he's definitely uh, he's the man around here. Put it that way. And um, I recently just bought in on a ski with him, so we're um, we're tinkering with that. And he's um, he's coming up with great ideas. And put it this way, I, I never even really tried to venture into sub downwind. Um, until he was obsessing, <laughs> completely obsessing about it. 
Like he was just going every day. I'm like, mate, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> why are you going? He's, yeah. But he's, he'll get there. He's, he's there. He's also waiting on a board too. Cause um, Australia just hasn't been able to get any boards. Well, what do you want to leave folks with? This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, I'm stoked. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll send you all the, the topics that we didn't, um, that we didn't cover. Um, do another maybe one. To... <laughs> yeah. um, send it back part two. Yeah. What is it? is it? I'm just reading through quickly. Which one I'll pick. Um, uh, mental. Or, or even instead of a topic, like words of wisdom. Yeah. Uh, well, definitely the, the and that's, I'll, yeah, that's probably a better one. And I, I definitely like it because that's what a lot of the guys that come on your podcast um, go on about. And it's, it's great to see people with so many different um, perspectives. And as I mentioned that um, Jim Bones guy, man, he was, <laughs> that's a really interesting, uh, interesting conversation. I, I would say foiling has been the biggest um, thing for me because I've literally been able to do, Everything, so foiling allows me to go in the water every day and do so many different things. And it's always been that one thing that I've been looking for in, in all these different sports and avenues. And it's, it's just, it's so varied and every single one of them is enjoyable to me. I don't pick any of them over the other. Um, you'll hear people say, Oh, you've got to do sub downwinding or you've got to do proning. Like, yeah, but if you do something else or if you're into dock starting or if you play around in a river and that's your thing, mate, you are going to have just as much fun doing that as you will anywhere else. Um, but, yeah, definitely try everything that's available for you in your location. So for me, I've got, I'm fortunate because where I live, I can do everything. Um, but, yeah, I, I do see some guys around here that that only prone surf and it's like, like you, you know, they, they tried the winging and then they just started throwing gear around and swearing and, <laughs> and just <laughs> carrying on. But like, once you get past that and, and you, you, you see what it's worth and like, I mean, you're on the ocean, you're flying above the water and you're surrounded by like dolphins and a good case scenario, but most likely sharks, um, out to sea, you, I don't know. It's just, it's a great thing. And it's, it's certainly I've mentioned it a few times. It's 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 had a huge positive influence on my mental well being. Um, I can I can reach that flow state on any day of the week, even if it's repetitive. Even if it's say dead flat, there's no wind. I can go off a rock and I can dock start. Sorry, rock start and pump around for twenty minutes, and I've got my cardio workout. Yeah, if that makes. And at the end of the day. I think the physical component of a high intensity foil session or that foiling requires a, a, a strong, there's, there's a lot of physical um, exertion in it. And I think that combined with the fact that you're on the water brings a lot of happiness. And yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And combined with the fact that you're hitting those deeper mental states at the same time. You've got the runners high. You've got flow states. You've got water and everything beautiful that's happening. 
Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, we're so lucky we can do that. Like, um, imagine if we were inland, we'd had to to jump on uh, noisy motorbikes and go all the time and burning petrol. And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say I didn't do that because I did that when I was younger and I loved it. But I, I stopped doing that because I was going to get hurt. Um, but yeah, the ocean is—it's a magical place, and I love it. And it's given me everything um, that I've that I've got up till now. And something that I—I I, a second point that it, you probably want to cut me off now, but um, a second point that I can bring up is recently I've been bumping into like old friends, and they've become um, like directors or leading companies or, or or managing say fifty people, and they they're doing real off. And I'm always like, oh man, like look how well you've gotten and you've completely blasted me out of the water. Like I'm only still just the, just a guy with a job, you know, and I can do it quite well and I'm proud of what I do, but I'm not, I'm not a CEO or anything. And um, one of them recently turned around and said, well, yeah, but look what you do. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like I've, I've taken my life's direction and suited it to what I'd like to do. So I want the opportunity to go in the water every day and I want, and that's something that they can't do because they're stuck at work, but they've achieved it, their goals through work. So everyone, everyone should just do what they like doing and, and yeah, whether that's prone, winging, supping, whatever you, whatever you want. You know, on that thread, and this is something I was contemplating a lot today. I was, I was driving to pick up my daughter from volleyball practice and that's her passion. Music and, and volleyball are her passions. And um, it's it's so beautiful to watch her do the things that she loves. It's similar to me in foiling or my son in surfing and foiling. And and I was I was driving, I was stuck at a stoplight and I looked over and there was a woman who was in a wheelchair, not old, probably 25, um, getting pushed by, I don't know, some someone, uh, some man behind her. Um down towards the beach. And I was thinking that we all are playing our own games, right? We're all in the same playing field, but everybody is given a, a, a different game, a different set of challenges, a different set of um, attributes, uh, things that they're good at, things that they like. And I was thinking that I think that the highest level game, I mean, you kind of can look at life like a game, is finding your own game and playing that. And I think that unhappiness is when you get stuck playing someone else's game that that maybe you it's not yours or you don't have the same, you're, you're comparing yourself to someone who has a different set of innate talent or uh, challenges or, or whatever it is. And... I think that uh, it's, a, it's a theme. I wasn't going to talk about this tonight because it's something I want to take some time, but what you just said is so apropos. But that I think when you can define your own game and you're living close to that, it's hard for anyone else to judge success. It's hard for someone else to say, oh, that person's successful because maybe maybe they're miserable. Um, Everyone's success is different and it's, it's yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think that one of the greatest gifts is to be able to define, you know, the game that you're playing and then, and then measure yourself according to that. Mm. Is that too no, deep this podcast? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And I don't even know if people are going to listen this long. It's, uh, oh, they will, man. Have people got this much time in their life? <laughs> yeah. So if you've listened to this point, send Jeremy a message and let him know. I'd say uh, if you've listened to this point, make sure you go foiling after this because um, you'll enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am um, huge fan of what you're doing, and I'm super stoked to see where it leads over the next little bit. It terrifies me, um, but it's awesome. Yeah, well- to talk to somebody who's out there pushing it like this. It's been unreal talking. I've really enjoyed this. I wasn't too sure how it was going to go, but um, I think it worked out well. And um, you'll see the photos. Well, hopefully I'll get to release them um, in the next couple of weeks. There's, I'm sitting on a few things that are a little bit out there. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to share them with people and, and see if people want to do it themselves because at the end of the day, hey, like there's no reason I'm the only person who can do it. Like get out there and, and teach me how to do it. I, it's easier to learn than it is to do it for the first time. Put it that way. Yeah. If uh, if you don't already follow Jeremy at Ocean Pixels on Instagram and anything else you want to plug before we hop off? Uh no. I mean, I think people people will know. I mean, I I always thank my sponsors. Obviously, um, Axis has been there. I, I mentioned it. I I bought their gear at the start and uh, been team rider now so it's unreal and um yeah stoked it's unreal and uh koei leashes as well they've been doing some great products as well so i'm working with them on um on leashes and hopefully we can come up with something good for for toe and like improve the safety with that right on jeremy thank you enjoy the rest of your day brother all right you too mate thanks you there Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen.